0: Well, I always find it's kind of an interesting uh, week to be to be picking a passage of Scripture because we've come off this big hurrah with uh, Christmas and the celebrations and all the texts that we love to read and study at Christmas time, and it's it's a bit of a transition to uh, come into the new year. And what do we do? But this passage we're going to read that Matt alluded to uh, with the children is a nice transition for me in many ways, and we'll talk about that a little bit today. But just for as a means of introduction. We, In our Christmas tradition, right? we celebrate Christmas and Easter. They're probably the two big celebrations we do as a church. But the reality is that um, these Christmas stories and the passage we're going to read today are all a prologue to the life and the ministry of Jesus as recorded by Luke. So when we read this passage, it creates a transition from the birth narratives to the ministry of John the Baptist, which is a precursor of the ministry of Jesus. And Luke, as Matt mentioned, is the only one who gives us a snippet at all of what Jesus might have been like uh, in his adolescent years. So if we can, let's read this together. But first, let me pray. God, we do thank you that you have given us this great passage in Luke that gives us a little picture and a glimpse into a small portion of Jesus' adolescence. And God, I just ask that you would open our eyes, open our minds, our hearts, all aspects of us to this text, uh, so that we might draw closer to you, and that the Christmas story could be even more meaningful to us today. It's in your name that we pray, amen. So this is from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. Now every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and their friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. (laughs) And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And Jesus said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Matt and I have learned that as we get older, we need to print really big print for our sermons. (laughs) And I'm actually going to attempt to leave my glasses right here, just for the record. It is a bit blurry, but I think I can still see it, uh, just because I hate having to go back and forth between these. But uh, today, I do want to look at a couple faith lessons that I think Luke would like us to take away from this passage. You know, there's a reason Luke put this in his story, and why he's the only one of the gospel writers who put this in. And so today, I think it would be uh, helpful if we look at some of the lessons that he's trying to teach us, his readers both back then as well as here, about 2,000 years later. So let's go through the text together and try to unpack some of this, if we will. So I'm going to start with the beginning of verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. So there's a lot packed, packed in this two, these two verses here. But the first faith lesson is this. Papers don't fall off. Didn't tell me about that. Need a little bigger thing. The uh, first lesson is this: that Jesus and his family were devout Jews. Okay, they were faithful followers of Judaism. And the reason why that's important is that Luke knows that if we want to fully understand this ministry of Jesus and the life he's about to tell us, he's going to embark on the story of the work of God through the person of Jesus. Okay. We're going to understand this better if we understand that Jesus saw himself as part of this bigger tradition, as part of this history of God interacting with the Jewish people. And Jesus wasn't trying to do something different, although it ends up sort of being that way over time. Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of what was going on. In fact, in Matthew, the gospel writer puts it this way, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And earlier in Luke, we see that there's many parts of um, both Hebrew prophecy. On the eighth day, Jesus is circumcised, just like every good Jewish boy was. He's presented to the temple according to the law, how that was laid out. And he's regularly attending these festivals. So one of the things to remember is that I mentioned before in our tradition, right, we have two big festivals now, Christmas and Easter. That's just how we have interpreted this in church history and all sorts of things. However, in Jesus' time, there were three big festivals that they were celebrating, okay? One was Passover, one was Pentecost, and one was Tabernacles. And for a long time, in general, if you were a Jewish male and you were devout and faithful, it was expected that if you could get to Jerusalem, you were supposed to go to Jerusalem, right? You were going to celebrate. Uh, These festivals were all about things that God had done for the people of Israel, Now, we know from the early church historian Josephus that by the first century, it was really only uh, Passover that everybody was expected to attend, okay? And by everybody, it's typically Jewish males. So the fact that Mary is going and a lot of their companions and they're bringing their family shows you how much um, they were taking seriously this call to celebrate what God had done for the people of Israel. And the other thing about these passages is when Luke mentions that Jesus is 12, okay, 12 is not just a random number that Luke is throwing in there, 12 at that time was understood to be the period when a boy transitions from a boy to a man. Okay, so this is a very significant point in Jesus' life, and the readers at that time would have heard that and understood that. Now I find it interesting that uh, this comes from Luke, because Luke we know is a Gentile. Uh, or maybe a, what was called a Hellenistic Jew, someone who was raised in the sort of Greek tradition but uh, adopted Judaism as faith. And it's neat that, remember, Luke also writes Acts. Okay? So Luke is telling you the story of Jesus, okay? but then he continues on with all the Acts that the apostles do, the followers of Jesus do, and how the gospel of Jesus spread throughout the whole world. So Luke knows where we're going. He knows what the end of the story is but he still thinks it's extremely important that his readers understand how important the Hebrew prophecies were and how Jesus is part of this long-standing tradition. So first lesson from Luke is that Jesus is not a Christian, right? Jesus is a Jew, and Jesus is a fulfillment of all the history and the tradition and the promises that we find in the Hebrew Bible. So let's look back at the text. Verse 43, and if I say the verse wrong, I'll just let you know that's really hard to read in here, but the text will be accurate. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and then they started to look for him among their relatives and their friends. So obviously in context, uh, you may be familiar with this, but back in the day, Uh, It wasn't so easy, if you were a long way from Jerusalem, to get to Jerusalem. Couldn't just Uber there, couldn't just hop on a train, whatever you do, jump in your car, right? So Jerusalem was actually about 80 miles from Nazareth, where Jesus' family lived. So that's a long way to go when you're pretty much walking that whole way. So oftentimes you would travel in groups, family groups, bigger groups of people from your town that you knew for safety For support, for all those things that might be necessary in a long journey like that with a lot of people. Now, can you imagine? I mean, I'm sure any of you are a parent, this is just a no brainer, but that panicky feeling you would get uh, if you've lost something important to you, especially a child, right? So, this happened to us a couple weeks ago. We were in Universal Studios. I have three children. And I am pretty. I'm pretty anal with my children about how what we do. We've got plans for things, like when we're in a park like that, if we get lost, they've all got my cell phone and mom's cell phone memorized. And the plan is, if you get separated, um, the first thing you do is you find a park employee, and they know that by somebody that, you know, they go, either go into a ride or they go somewhere where they see the name tag, and all you got to do is say, I'm lost, do whatever you need to do to get me back to my parents. And so this has never happened. So the first time this happened, uh, and I am constantly looking around, making sure my kids are there just in case, because I'd rather not go through this whole process, if you know what I mean. Uh, So Brooklyn, my youngest, who's now seven, we are walking, and we are some friends there that were with us too, and it was probably only 20 seconds, but, you know, you look around and where's Brooklyn? We're just all right together. We're all walking together from one ride to Harry Potter, of course, Uh, so... Uh, we had, so we're, we're, we're looking, and I'm looking around, and you get that, you just, that sinking feeling that goes as a parent in your stomach, and you're like, oh, my goodness. So I walk back the way, and I'm telling you, this was literally maybe 30 seconds total before I saw her. But in that 30 seconds, she had already found the guy that was carrying the butterbeer stuff through, uh, through Hogwarts. She'd already flagged him down and was you know going through the routine. So, um, so when I read this passage, I always think, so is it better or worse if you lose the Son of God? Like, is that, is that, like, more stressful as a parent because you've lost Jesus? Or do you go, well, it's God. He's going to forgive me, and he loves me, and all that? stuff. Uh, but you can imagine, you can see what that, that angst would be. Any parent, or any, even if you're not a parent, if you lose something really important to you, you know what that's like, and you get a sense of what they're going through. So they get back, and they find him. And when they, didn't, well, they, when they did not find him, First of all, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple. Now, it's assumed that this is a day going out, a day going back, and then another day looking for him. But three days, I can't even imagine, three days, especially back in those days, um, that's a long time. And I'm sure they had procedures, too, for if somebody got lost, what would you do? Um, But you can just imagine the angst that Mary and Joseph are feeling about this time. But there's Jesus sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Luke is showing us now that there's something definitely different about Jesus. He is not your ordinary 12-year-old. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, "'Child, why have you treated us like this? "'Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety.'" For me, I think of the word when I tell my children, what were you thinking? Yeah. Right? And you've all got phrases you use with your kids, but like, really? That's another one I use, like, really? You know, what is going on? Um, and what's interesting about this is that Mary knows there's something special, right? Obviously, Mary and Joseph, the birth narratives, the angels, okay? They know this is, there's something extraordinary about their child, Jesus. Um, but at the same time, he's still a boy. And It's this interesting contrast between Jesus knowing the sense that he's called according to his heavenly father, but that also at the same time he's called to his earthly mother and father as well. And Jesus says to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, a couple things. These are the first words that Luke gives us of Jesus in the Gospels. Okay? in the story of Jesus. So just by that very nature, you know that there's probably something important that he's trying to communicate to us as the listeners. And like I said, you get this contrast of the heavenly father versus the earthly father. And there's a sense that for Mary and Joseph, even though they know he's from somewhere else to some extent, um, it's really this unveiling over time that happens. It's not like they get all the answers right away, just like you and I in our faith. We don't get all the answers right away. We don't, figure it out immediately. It's this process of us still, right, ongoing trying to learn, trying to give ourselves to God, trying to be open to the things that God is teaching us. Also, this phrase, um, I must be in my father's house. Okay? You need to know that this is a couple, there's a couple different meanings of what's going on here. So, if you were a good um, Jew at the time, and you heard, somebody asked you, where does God live? You would say, oh, God lives in the temple. Okay? In And my father's house is a reference to the temple where Jesus is. Now, they also know that God is everywhere. It doesn't mean that God is only in the temple. But that's the sense where where the center of worship and the Jewish faith was centered. Would you consider that to be in the temple? So here's Jesus, who is now supposed to be coming the center of that Jewish faith, is also situated right there in that very same temple. But there's also another way that this can be translated, and you probably have a little footnote in whatever version of the Bible you look at. It'll have a little footnote. And often this phrase, in my father's house, also can be translated uh, about my father's interests or about my father's business. So it's the idea. It's not just this physical presence that's representative. It's also the fact that Jesus is here ultimately to be about God's business. That's why he's on this earth, and that's what Luke is communicating to us, right? The rest of his book and Acts is going to be about that business being carried out, and what does that look like, and what does that mean for us? But it's also this understanding that Jesus knows that he has this calling that he has to fulfill. So this is what I call Luke's faith in this lesson lesson number two for all of us readers, is that when we see what Jesus is trying to do, about taking over his family business, it's a reminder to us that we're also called to take over that family business. Okay? Now, this is not in the, you know, Tony Soprano, Al Capone sense of taking over the family business, but uh, Luke thinks that we, as Jesus' followers, should be about our Father's business as well. St. Teresa of Avila says it this way, and I think this is a good way to describe it. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hand, hands through which he blesses all the world. So that's a little heady, right? That's, a, that's kind of a hard calling for all of us that we, when we think about it, for better or for worse, we are the hands and feet of Jesus now in this world so i I think of this and it seems to me even though this is probably not true they were busy too but it does seem that back in those days it seemed like people had more time to do these kind of things to really be intentional about doing the work of jesus right of the heavenly father my life i see and i'm sure you feel this way too there's a whole lot of mundane in the existence of being a human being whether it is trying to get your kids up out of bed in the morning and then make their lunches and then getting to the school on time and then getting to the office and then somebody picking them up afterwards and then washing the dishes and doing the laundry and all these things. There's a lot of mundaneness to me, I feel, as I try to live out this calling. But we can try. right? We can try, and in the midst of all that, I think there's ways that we can think about What does it mean to be followers of Jesus? What does it mean to try and be about Jesus' business, especially as we think about it post-Christmas? Maybe there's one area in my life, one area in yours, that maybe God's been bringing stuff up to you about, whether it's about family or work or people, you want to spend a little more time trying your best to love them. Maybe there's one area for you and I uh, this Christmas season that we can think where we can really try to be more about, more intentional about carrying on our father's business. Then returning to the text in verse 50. But they did not understand what Jesus said to them. And then he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. I like to notice that despite... Um, having this higher calling, right? Our text implies that Jesus still knows he has a human family too. And Jesus knows that he's got an obligation to be true to his earthly family just as much as he does to his heavenly father. And he's got to somehow live in the balance of that. And then Luke ends with one sentence that pretty much encapsulates the next 18 years of Jesus' life in his story. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human nature i got to be honest, I look in there I go, what else happened, right? There had to have been something of interest in those 18 years, um, but we don't know. Um, and it's okay that we don't know, because Luke at least wants to convey the importance of this one story and why he thought it was important for all of us as his readers to know. And the faith, the, the third lesson that I, I drew from this text, um, and I phrase it this way, looking at how Mary responded to what was going on, I call it respond like mom, okay? Respond like mom verse 51, Mary treasured all these things in her heart. By the way, I bet she was still kind of angry, okay? (laughs) See, I bet she was still kind of angry, thinking, what else am I going to have to deal with with this godly guy? Uh, But this word word treasure can also be translated to ponder, right, to wrestle with, to think deeply about. And I think that's a good thing that... um, well, first of all, Luke uses that phrase earlier with Mary in ways she was trying to just wrestle with what is going on and this, this new storyline of God's working on earth that she's an integral part of now. Just kind of a sense of what's, what's going on with it. Truly really ponder the meaning of that. I had the uh, chance to ponder the meaning of some songs that my children have been singing now for about two and a half years. But uh, over Christmas, in fact, it was Thursday of this week, so it was not that long ago. My family and I got to see Hamilton, the musical, for the first time in Chicago. So I know those of you who like musicals uh, probably are fans of Hamilton. Maybe some of you aren't familiar with it, but it's been one of the most remarkable shows, uh, musical shows going on now for several years. And you know, my kids have been listening to the soundtrack, so if my kids are listening to it, I already know all the, le- the songs to it. Uh, in the same way, I know all Taylor Swift songs, too, by the way. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, so, so I was actually kind of excited, but we, we decided we're not going to tell the kids. This is going to be our big Christmas present. Uh, we went to see family in Chicago, uh, Michigan for a wedding, and then we drove to Chicago for a couple days, and it's playing in both Chicago and New York. So I got tickets ahead of time. Of course, I set the children up because that's what I do as a good dad. I, uh, so our hotel was like two blocks from where the theater was with Hamilton. They still didn't know where we were going to go. So Diane and I were like, okay, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk. To where uh, we're gonna have lunch, but let's just go out of the way and just casually walk by the theater where Hamilton's playing, right? Because they got Hamilton on these big billboards and all that kind of stuff. So uh, we do this. We go around, and my kid, you know, we're walking down, you know, half a block away, and they, my kids' eyes light up, especially Zach and Brooklyn could take Hamilton to leave it. She doesn't care. It was a seven-year-old, but, but Sydney and Zachary, twelve and ten, they are totally, totally into this. And so um, Sydney's eyes light up, and she goes oh, my goodness, Dad, is this where Hamilton's playing? And I said, oh, yeah, this must be, cool. Uh, So we walked by, uh, and and in a great family moment, she's like, oh, do you think there's, oh, Dad, do you think we could even get tickets? And I said, oh, Sid, I already checked, and they're they're all sold out for tickets today, but it's a good thing we have tickets for tomorrow. And they were like, are you kidding me? We have tickets? They were all excited. That's right, I am a good dad. Thank you very much. Um... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm not above buying my children's happiness. I'll just tell you that right now. So, uh, Sometimes, you know how this is, it may just be ice cream cones from McDonald's, but sometimes we have to do these things. But it really was, so honestly, in anticipation of seeing this, so he wrote the musical based on a biography that came out about a decade ago by Ron Chernow, which on, on Alexander Hamilton's life. And it was, I had read this ahead of time because I wanted to understand more of the story that what was going on, but... It is pretty impressive to ponder the things that Alexander Hamilton did, both good and bad, but these amazing things that this 20- and 30-year-old immigrant you know, fi- figured out a way to create a customs service for the United States, and he, he, brought it, he started the whole Coast Guard that's still there. Of course, he's most famous for founding the national banking system and then writing, as he studied law, writing what's called the Federalist Papers, uh, which were his interpretation, and not just his alone, but he wrote the majority of them interpretation of the US Constitution, and I was shocked to read, I didn't know this, that the Supreme Court has, uh, in their rulings, has named the Federalist Papers and their ideas that are in the Federalist Papers more than any other historical document for why they made decisions that they did. And so, I mean, it's pretty impressive to think a little bit more about what Hamilton did as a young man. makes me think as a 50-year-old I haven't really got much done in my life, but it is what it is. But then I think of the story in Luke, right? And Luke wants us to ponder uh, what Jesus is doing and is going to do for us, right? And it's amazing. I mean, it's amazing what Alexander Hamilton did. Um, He did some amazing things that we're still benefiting from today as a country. But then to think about what this baby born in Bethlehem really did for us. The salvation, the wholeness, the healing, the reconciliation. Right, which will last forever and ever. That's what Luke wants us to think about. He wants us to respond like mom, to treasure these things, to ponder them, to wrestle with them, so that we can too carry on that family tradition. So in response to this Christmas, I want to challenge myself and, and you as well to recognize Jesus is part of this bigger tradition and is really the fulfillment of the law not one that wants to change it all. That we ponder, what does this mean? What does this mean for us 2,000 years later? You know, what is God trying to do with us? And that to whatever extent we can, we do our best to take over the family business. That maybe there's one area at least that we can look at, something that Jesus has done for us, something that we're learning about what God has done for all of us, that we can then apply to others. And I think in so doing, we'll do justice and honor to Luke's story about this adolescent boy Jesus and what he was trying to do for all of us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.